Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. atoning death of Jesus Christ is the foundation of all Christian doctrine. I might go so far as to say is the foundation of all of Christendom. Every doctrine that we have, that we have been over since the beginning of this series of dragons and doctrine, is hinged on this truth. It does not matter about the Trinity if there is no atoning death on the cross. It does not matter about apostolic succession and the authority of the church if Jesus did not die on the cross. It does not matter about anything if the cross is inconsequential. And why? Why do I have to state that? Clearly, we get that on some level. We're all here on Sunday morning because I have to tell you that this doctrine is under threat. Every year, they build more and more churches that have no cross. More and more churches are taking their crosses out of worship. And why? Why should we be ashamed of the cross? Well, there's a critique coming to the church that the cross is morbid, that the cross is about bloodlust, it's about God needing child sacrifice. Not only did this malign our God, but it is to completely misconstrue what happened on the cross. The cross is who we are. We are people of the cross. We live and breathe and die and resurrect by the cross. It's important that we feel no shame looking at that cross. Christ didn't come to make us feel ashamed. Christ came to liberate us, to free us, to encourage us to see that God's grace and love can overcome all. And if you are looking at a sign for that, then look no further than the cross. It's not just a symbol. It's not just something that kind of points toward an abstract truth. It is true. It has been true. It will be true forevermore that God's grace was made manifest on the cross. And we remember that because it is crucial to not only our livelihood, our duty as Christians, It is about discipleship. It is the motivation by which we bother to share the good news. Because it is only by the cross that we have good news. We live in a world that loves Christmas and loves Easter. There's no point in having a Christmas if there's not going to be an Easter. And there's no point in having an Easter if there's not a cross on Good Friday. So we need the cross. And yet... Let's look at just the radical truth that most people in Christendom don't come to church except on Christmas and Easter, and they are missing the cross. They are missing the very foundation. Many clergy have said that over the cradle where Jesus laid, which was a manger, over that there hung a cross. It's figurative, of course, but Jesus was born and came to earth Christ incarnate, that we might have the gift of the cross. It is where all our sins are laid bare, and they are covered by his sacrifice. 
Now, God is very clear from the beginning of the Bible, and my Bible study has been reading it since September last year, and we're almost through the Torah. We're getting there. As we've been journeying through it, time and time again, God says, do not offer your children in sacrifice to me. That was a ritual and a demand by pagan uh, rituals and religions all over the area, and God said, don't do that. God also said, don't bleed yourself. Don't cut yourself for ritual bleeding. This is not what I want, because God recognizes how precious blood is. Blood is life. And scripture is very clear about that. Before we had science and medicine to be able to tell us this, scripture conveyed to the earliest followers of God that blood was the means by which we live and that without it, we die. We think about all the things that we know about blood, that we can give the gift of life just by donating blood and that in an emergency, people need blood donated. We also know that blood not only carries oxygen, but it carries nutrients to every inch of our body. We cannot live without blood circulating and flowing. It carries our white blood cells and our platelets to undergird our immune system. It heals us when we are sick. Without our heart pumping, we die. Blood is life. And we know from personal experience that sin is death. Not only does sin lead to death in an extemporaneous way, but we know that there are occasions where sin leads to death in a very real and traumatic way. Think about the things that we choose to do. Choose to go out on a Friday night, choose to engage with my friends in some social drinking. I have a few drinks, I have a few too many, and then I make the poor decision to drive. And it's not long before my car smashes into another car and an innocent person on their way home from work is killed. It's not just that I wake up one day and I've had enough and I go and I murder my neighbor. We make decisions that create evil from the inaction of our sin. And we do this in many, many ways. I had an aunt who started smoking when she was in high school And she tried over and over and over again throughout her adult life to quit smoking. And she couldn't do it. In fact, she could only do it once she had been diagnosed with terminal throat cancer from smoking. And I think about all the people who made decisions that seemed very benign in the business world to infuse cigarettes with chemicals and addictive nicotine, For these people who made decisions, and then there are those who die as a ramification of using their products. Now, have they killed somebody directly? No. But have we not sinned in creating something that entangles our brothers and sisters and causes their death? We could do this all day. And God realized this. That's why in the very beginning in Leviticus and Numbers, and even into Deuteronomy, God is very clear that sin causes death, and it creates a barrier. In the Old Testament, it says literally that the sin causes pollution. It polluted the holy space where God lived and dwelled, and God wanted to live and dwell in our midst. And so God commanded the people to build the tabernacle where God would dwell in the Holy of Holies, and they would come and worship, and they would pitch that tent right in the very center of their community, and all of life would encircle it, and the center of their life literally would be the presence of God except that they sinned. 
Because some days you just think it's going to be easier. I'm just going to enact my own will. And let's be honest for a moment. It feels really good to sin, doesn't it? If it didn't, if it felt like the stomach flu or colonoscopy prep, you wouldn't do it but once. It feels awesome. In fact, it feels easy. Sometimes it just feels so good to do it, right? When you know you shouldn't say that, but you're going to say it because it just feels good and you're at the end of your rope. Sinning feels good because it's about our will and our power and our authority to do what we want to do. It takes a lot more control to say no to your sinful inclinations. And God knows this. God gave us free will. And while God would like for us to use that free will to restrain that part of us that wants to be selfish and sinful. God knows that if we live long enough, we're going to sin. And so God said, I need to create a way that we can cleanse the pollution caused by sin. Have you ever been in somebody's house who smokes and you can see the nicotine on the wall? You ever seen it running down the wall? That's what sin looks like in the sacrificial system. Sin coats everything. It coated the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence hovered. It tainted the altars. It tainted the actual tents. That's why Moses had to purify it with blood. That blood is ritual detergent. It's like bleach that cleanses and purifies. And back then, if I did something ridiculous, like steal something from my neighbor, and I had to bring a lamb a living, bleeding lamb, and bring it up to the priest and lay my hands on it and transfer my guilt of my sin and hand it over and know that that animal had to die because of my sinfulness, I might think twice before I sin again. If the consequences were so radical, I might give pause before I give in to my urges. But God knew also that as the people continued to be fruitful and multiply, their very first commandment in Genesis, that there would never be enough lambs, goats, oxen, pigeon to stay ahead of the sin curve. We would have outsinned all wildlife by now. And so God said, I, in the fullness of time, will come to my people in Jesus Christ. And there, I will make the ultimate sacrifice. Because my blood is not enough to cleanse billions upon billions of people. Our blood here, if we were to be so generous, is not enough. Only God can bleed and never die. Only God can bleed enough for all of us. Pure blood, unadulterated, uncontaminated, and freely given. Only God can do that. It's not enough that there might have been someone who was good enough to say, I will take the hit. All of us sin. And when you think about all the work that God put into humankind, created us in God's image, endowed us with power and authority and the gift of free will, and tried to guide us and guard us with the word and the prophets and the priesthood and tried to make everything possible so that we could live as we are supposed to live and yet we sin. We sin because we are human beings and we will sin. And this never became more clear to me than when I had a child and all the work that went into before I even got pregnant with the child. Going to wellness visits, having blood tests run, making sure that I was going to be okay, a fit mother, taking prenatal vitamins. And I realize that a lot of this sits on me because even though his father was all invested in this too, taking his multivitamin was not helping. (laughs) Some of this stuff just sits on us. And so I was taking that. And do you know what you have to do when you're pregnant now? You have to give up coffee. 
I gave up coffee. You don't want me when I haven't been around coffee. I gave up coffee for nine months. And I was living in like the seafood capital of Hampton Roads. And I didn't eat seafood for nine months because there was questions about mercury. All these things that I did just to try to give my child the best opportunity to be born whole and healthy. And people would say to you, oh, as long as it's only got, you know, got the full 10 fingers and 10 toes, I'm going, forget fingers and toes. I want all the brain connections. I want a full length of intestine. Fingers and toes are the least of my worries. I want my child healthy. And I sacrificed in order to make sure that child would be healthy. And then my child was born and pretty healthy. But then every day you have to do so much. You give of yourself. You give of your sleep. You give of your proper nourishment. You give of your sanity. (laughs) And that's fine until they turn about 18 months. And then you realize what sin looks like. (laughs) And all of a sudden he's like, hey, I have a will too. And I'm going to use it. And I'm thinking, well played, God. Well played. I know how this is now. This is me. This is me. This is us. This child is us. And I love my child. I would not, I mean, I would have killed my child by now if I did not love my child. I love my child very much. And yet, there are days that I really don't like my child. There are days that I don't like the things that my child does. That my child will at seven, give in to that natural urge to lash out. When you feel threatened or hurt or humiliated, human beings lash. And he does. And I, it hurts me to see him hurt other people. It hurts me to see him hurt. It hurts me to know that he's hurting me. It hurts. It is suffering. And I think to myself, this is what God feels that inner turmoil from knowing that something that you created to be so good and put all this effort and time and energy and resources to the brink where you thought you might actually die from exhaustion, to have that creation turn around in sin. It is the most disheartening thing. And yet, I can't walk away. I can't abandon him. My love latches me to my child. That is what God has done. God could have walked away from us generations upon generations ago. Don't kid yourselves. In in, in Genesis, God said, I'm never going to destroy the earth by flood again. That leaves a lot of other options. Fire, earthquake, death star. Many, many ways, many ways that God could destroy this earth. And instead, when all of us would go, have you seen humanity? enough. God looks down and says, I love each and every one of you, and I won't walk away. I won't turn my back. In fact, I am coming to you. It is not enough that I have loved you. It is not enough that I have created you. I want to be with you forever. God chooses to invite us, wayward, prodigal children, into all of eternity. And while I sit here and wonder if I should immediately downsize to a one-bedroom apartment when my child goes to college, God says, I need to build a bigger house. I need to build a house for every one of my children to come home to. And so we live in a world where people go, 
That cross is, that's just morbid. Y'all need to move on from the cross. Move on to the cross. There are days where that's all we have. Wood will rot. Stone can be worn away. Gold can dissipate, be stolen, be lost. Everything that we have will be gone away with, except that cross. That is it. And if we let people remove the cross from the church and remove it from our lives and our theology and our belief, then they are robbing us of our reconciliation. Reconciliation is work. It's one thing for somebody to say, I'm sorry, and you go, it's okay, I forgive you. That's not reconciliation, that's forgiveness. And that's good. But that's not knitting ourselves back together in right relationship. That's a lot more work. I was telling the early service today that even when you try to do good, you do wrong. Have you ever done that? I was trying to open the door for somebody, and I ended up like slamming them with the door. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I was trying to help you. And they're like, yeah, it feels like it. This is why we need the cross. I was trying to do something good. And even when I try to do something good, I can mess up. Yeah, because we're human. And as much as we would like to think that we can anticipate where people are going and which side of you they're going to walk around on, the world does crazy things. And we live here together. And God says, I want you to live with me forever. And that's a really long time. And you don't want to live with somebody that you're only marginally connected to. Do you? Wouldn't you rather live as fully reconciled people? Wouldn't you like to know that everybody else that lives in this big house that God has promised us is equally committed to this? All of us are given a pass to eternal life because God has said that by that, by the cross, I am not going to hold all this against you. If you want forgiveness, it's yours. If you choose to repent and step away from whatever it is that constantly helps you sin then grace is yours. Ask and you shall receive. It is yours. And just so that we don't forget the fact that we live and breathe by grace, here's this holy meal. And Jesus says that this entire thing exists so that you will remember me. Remember me, my blood, my body, the grace. And so when we come here for this sacrament, we receive anew that same grace. That same justifying grace that happened on the cross happens here at this table. Because our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, is God Almighty. He is a person of the Trinity. He is capable of bringing us forgiveness. And by the power of apostolic authority that is vested in me, I can transform these elements from mere juice and bread into a means of grace for all of us. And then because we are the church, because we believe in the atoning death of Jesus Christ, this has power. But all of that is based upon the cross. All other ground is sinking sand. And so when John sings in his fabulous tenor voice, I will cling to the old rugged cross, we must literally cling to the cross. 
We cannot be ashamed of it. Our shame is gone. We cannot listen to people who try to tell us that God is a bloodthirsty, child-killing God. The greatest act of love is to say, I will not turn my back on you. That in your deepest, darkest, most depraved, depraved moments, I am not walking away from you. I am coming to you. And that is what the cross means. It is ours. It is theirs. And there are people out there who don't understand that if you want to see what love looks like, it is suffering on behalf of your own. My child needed a kidney. I would give him a kidney. And so help me, if I found out that my child needed heart or lungs, if there was a way by which I could do that, I would give my child everything. And my love can't hold a candle to the love of God Almighty. And so if God is willing to give everything, even God's self on the cross, should we not live as grateful children of God? So we gather here in God's home, but a fraction of a glimpse, a mere taste of what it means to come to a place and be fully accepted for who you are, despite your sinfulness, despite whatever mistakes you made this morning, here you are forgiven and here you are free. And God seeks to remind us of that day in and day out, that when you gather here, you are in the presence of living, breathing grace because Jesus says he is here with us too. And the cross is not just a symbol or a reminder. The cross is that grace. Let us live as people of the cross and the resurrected Christ this day and every day. May it be so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.